Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Steve. And I'm Josh. And together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the cast. Just a day after Valentine's, we're taking you on a tour of love and harmony in the Bible, (laughs) examining those perfect pairings that God created and we observe as we ride on the love train. And uh, just to let you know, this intro might be fueled by some cough medicine. Poor Josh. (laughs) I feel so bad for you. He's a little under the weather. Yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal this, but I I caught the Rona. (laughs) He caught the Rona. Yeah. We both did, actually. Yeah, golly. <laughs> we, it's crazy because we were not together when we got it. We just both at the same time like, texted yeah. each other over, what, a week and a half? Or like we yeah. both had it. I coughed in my phone as I was texting you. Sorry. It did, uh, yeah. yeah. Had, with our age of technology, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened. <laughs> so anyway, we're a little bit under the weather. Josh, a little more than I. So please pray for him that he gets to feeling better. Yes. And thank you for joining us today as we hope your week is going fantastic so far. And today, Josh and I are going to be pairing up to uncover some perfect biblical pairings that we see in Scripture, aren't we, Josh? Yes. There's certain things that we're all familiar with where, um, you know, if one thing gets mentioned, you can automatically pair it with its counterpart. Like, um, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, Bonnie, Clyde, Yin Yang, Adam and Eve. There's so many things. You just you just say it like clockwork right after. Yeah, yeah, I've got peanut butter and jelly, milk and cookies, college football on Saturdays, yes. and then bacon and pretty much anything. Right. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, so today we're just going to look at some really cool things we see in Scripture where um, certain things we're called to are just tied at the hip to something else that helps it coexist. Um, I will say that some of these are a little more subtle than others, but I'm looking forward to unpacking some of these because there's a lot of golden nuggets to find in application in, in just looking at some of the things that God has paired in Scripture. Some of the things might surprise you. You're just like, I didn't know that those went together. And they it's pretty cool how you can um, pull application and, and see how God did it in Scripture. So we're going to dive into some of those. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting, you know, when we were first kind of even talking about this and presenting it as a potential topic, uh, we talked about how some are more compare and contrast and then some are more complementary. And, yeah. you know, because I was like, well, snake and bird. And, and, right. and we're like, well, those are almost like two different sides of the spectrum that come together That's true. to form a balance. And I definitely have at least one of those. And then the other ones are more complementary. And, and I feel like some of these are even interchangeable where you're like, oh, that still matches with this and that. And, you know, it, it's it's not an exact science. Yeah, that's <laughs> but true. It is an observation. One thing I found interesting was this last Sunday, uh, our pastor was giving a reading of John fourteen six, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the points that he made was um, the way and the truth have to be tied together. Mm. Uh, some people try to follow the way of Jesus without the truth of Jesus and vice versa. But the truth of Christ combined with the way is what brings life. And I just thought that, that was really cool. Um, landing for his sermon right before yes. we recorded this because yeah, for sure. it's so true that even stuff like that that Jesus said I'm I am the way the truth and the life there there are pairings that they just 
you don't separate them from mm-hmm. each other. So I thought that was really cool. Yes, because I also feel like there are some of these pairings that we're going to present where if you take one of those uh, things out of the equation, then it loses some of its power or it loses yeah. the direction that it's supposed to go in. Like you would say, the way and the truth equals the life. And exactly. So, yeah. Um, and if you have too much of one and not enough of another, then you're going to be out of balance. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times that's where bad doctrine can come in. And that's where, you know, you can start to veer off what the path God would have you to be on would be. Yeah. And we, you know, we always talk about balance on this podcast mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of the realms that this is in for sure. All right, so um, I know I have three of them that I really tackled in my study corner, and I did them kind of systematically, but I figured, Josh, I know you got some too. We can go back and forth or, or just however it lines out. But the first one that I had was love and zeal. Oh, awesome. And uh, we can jump into that first unless you had any that you wanted to, to prep us with, Josh. I'd say go for it. Okay, so let's tackle this first one, love and zeal. These are two things that I don't think you can separate, even though in the past we've discussed things like the honeymoon phase of becoming a believer. Um, Some might think if the honeymoon phase ends, wouldn't that kind of be like zeal dropping off the pairing? And it's true that the Christian goes through so many different seasons of growth through the process of progressive sanctification, but the love that God gives a Christian is always tied to our reaction of zeal somewhere within, even when it seems to be dormant at times. Mm. So let's start off by defining what zeal means. I think everyone's familiar enough with love, so I'm not going to define that. <laughs> what is love? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I love it. I just got a, a, a Chris, Christopher Catan yes. image in my head. The Batavi brothers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, me, you, me. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so the word zeal, it might surprise you in its definition. I've always thought that zeal meant something along the lines of, I guess, like passionate happiness. And that's pretty much how I've used the word most of my life, which I'm sure God has always heard as inconceivable. As he thought to himself, I don't think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But the word does not always have to have a blissful context, I found out. No. The Greek word for zeal is zelos. And it means to have a warmth of feeling for or against, to be zealous or jealous. Some of the commentators said about this Greek word zeal, the root literally means hot enough to boil. It can refer to boiling anger, love, zeal for what is good or bad. So I found that really interesting because that, that's not what I thought it meant. Yeah. I always thought zeal was is painted in, in kind of a rose-colored oh, yeah. setting, and it's not. No. It's not. Like I, I think of the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they had a zeal for the lust that they were having. Yes. So um, it's knowing that it's a boiling over feeling, we can see how it would be tied to love. First Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people. So there it is. It's that overflowing, that boiling over tied to the word love because there's that passion, that zeal-like connection that's, that's tied to it. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes 9.6 also says, Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished. They will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. 
And in this portion of Scripture, Solomon is comparing both the faithful and unfaithful before God, and he makes the point that after their death, both have lost their ability to utilize love and hate, since zeal is that passionate tool for both avenues. And I'll go total nerd here and say that it makes me think of the Force in Star Wars, <laughs> with zeal being the Force and love-hate being the dark side and good side. Oh, wow. Um, it's like the Holy Spirit offered through Christ okay. and the, the spirit of the Antichrist given to those who go astray. It's the avenue that the uh, the one is choosing. You know, <laughs> I don't know. That's where my mind went. Forgive it's me. It's all around us. <laughs> it's in everything. <laughs> I, I want to I quote Hans. He's like, I've been all over this galaxy. All right. Sorry, that was a terrible Hans. <laughs> but Paul actually used zeal for both love and hate. Um, in Philippians 3.6, Paul says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And if you'll remember, that was his mission of hate, as he was going after the church before he was saved. But in 2 Corinthians 11.2, we see a mission of love that Paul has for the Corinthian church, as he says, I am zealous for you with the zeal of God. And many translations say jealous for you. That's the, the godly jealousy. It's a righteous thing. Mm-hmm. A longing for the people to be kept pure is what it is. So all of this um, points to zeal being an element that is always tied to love. And even deeper, it can be the love for righteousness or unrighteousness. We can either boil over on the narrow way leading to righteousness or we can boil over with this world um, on the broad road that leads to destruction, like like I mentioned with Sodom and Gomorrah, that lust, that boiling for. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's kind of how I break it down scripturally. I do have some application that I like to jump into on, on this pairing and what we just went over. But Josh, you have anything to say or add to that? Yeah. Um, so one of the, the definitions I found for that was a focused desire. So that falls right in line with what you were talking about in terms of like what's driving the ship, but it's the momentum that's going to carry you in the way that you're headed. Um, And so I was thinking about, we talked about Jehu uh, in one of our profiles and Jehu was very zealous, but he became almost overly zealous for the things that he was concerned about and not listening to the Lord necessarily. Yeah. And uh, I remember he did he did one of those things where he uh, he wiped out a bunch of people, and God kind of came and was like, "Were you supposed to do that?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and in in great zeal, and and I think I've been surrounded um, at times by people who have have been very zealous. But I also feel like it's um, at times been um, maybe the motivating factor hasn't always been the correct thing. And so finding that balance with love is, is ex- extremely important. Yeah. Um, there are times where zeal is so much needed because, you know, just to have love – um, but no driving force. It makes you feel a little bit like a hippie, you know, right. you're just like, I love man, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But I was thinking of, uh, golly, it was um, Elijah when he was standing on Mount Carmel and he was having to face off against the prophets Baal. I think it was his zeal that was really the only thing that kept him up there, you know, right. <laughs> able to stand strong. Yeah. And, um, you know, even the New Testament talks about having zeal and just remaining faithful. And, and I mean, we have to have something that just says, go. Um, 
one of the things that I thought of when you're talking about like jealous is that song by John Mark McMillan that says like he is jealous for me. Oh yeah. You know, and and that makes God sound almost petty. But yeah. when you think about what the word actually means, there is that like he he is zealous for us. Yes. You know, and we used to sing a song about um it was called I think Furious. And you know, like I remember when I first heard it, I was like it says his love is deep, his love is wide, his love it covers us, his love is, and it, eventually it says furious, and I was like, what? Yeah. And then when you look up what that word means, it's like a heartfelt or passionate desire, and I'm like, well, that sounds a lot like this. Exactly. And so it just that's a good point. That lines up. It really does. That's a great point because we we put certain. Um, phrases in words in, in a certain light when we hear it in, in the place of, of God having that emotion. Mm-hmm. And it, it sits really weird. I remember the first time I heard um, a, a song say that what God did was scandalous. Yes. And I remember thinking, man, is that the right word? Because yeah. that's just a weird word for what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And then as you look at what God really did and what some of the words, I don't know if scandalous is actually mm-hmm. in Scripture, but... Um, like in this case, jealous. That's a really good point because you go and you look at it and there really is some lost meaning there. Mm-hmm. So that's a, yeah, really good point. Okay, so before we wrap um, this pairing up, I just want to pull some application from what we've read so far and say that, that we're all designed to strive for something. And that striving produces zealous feelings toward whatever we desire. Mm-hmm. So a question I thought of is, is what are we zealous for? And I think it can be easy to figure out. We can all be honest enough to admit what we're really living for. Is it our standing in this life, our popularity, our financial standing, our image, what we own, house, car, boat? And we've talked about it. These things don't have to be bad, but are they what we're zealous for? Do we boil over for the mission of these desires to obtain these things, to be seen in these things? Or do we have a zeal for the things of God? Do we get zealous for righteousness? Do we still, you might you might put it this way, do you still get butterflies in your stomach when you witness great things that God is doing from time to time in mm-hmm. your life? And I guess a good question to ask ourselves too is, have I ever felt this way about the things of God? Love and zeal are inseparable, and the question is, what do we love in this life? What, what do we have these boiling emotions for? What gives us butterflies when we're like, oh, I'm striving to, to get this done or to obtain this, whatever it is, whether it be a tangible thing or an image thing. But if we love the Lord, our zeal will be the driving force behind some sort of mission toward a unique calling he's placed on our lives. Mm-hmm. That much I know is true. Um, sometimes the zeal doesn't feel that strong, and that's okay, that's life, but it will always be there tied to the love that God gave us. The love comes first, and the zeal will follow. And in my next pairing, um, I go over how we can apply this zeal to our mission in the pairing of knowledge and discernment. But these are some really deep questions for us to think about and be honest with ourselves as we consider um, the inseparable love and zeal displayed in each of our lives and what that what that really looks like, because I know sometimes we can lay this out systematically where it sounds so Christianese. You know, what do you love? Do you love God or do you love your boat? You know, and I don't mean it to sound <laughs> that way, but they're honest questions. And you you know when you have these these emotions in life where it's like, man, I've 
deep in my mind, I'm really striving for this image. I kind of want this house. I kind of want to be seen in this light or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just important to ask yourself, do you get those butterflies whenever you see a great work of God happening in the kingdom and he's allowing you to be part of maybe witnessing to somebody or whatever it is? Yeah. Good good pairing. Yeah. What would you call that? Like a first love gut check kind of thing? Or, yeah, I don't know. You know. I don't know. I, we should put a term on it though, huh? Well, I just, <laughs> I know for me, like there are times where I just want to ask, Lord, am I spiritually desensitized? Yeah. Because I remember there'd be times where I'd see somebody pray to receive God for the first time and Jesus into their heart. And I would just like almost be weeping. And there's times where I'd you know, I know that I've seen it. And I'm like, okay, I've seen this before. Come yeah. on, you know. We're going to have to wait longer for yeah. lunch. Say amen. <laughs> you know, and golly, yeah. that's so sad. Yeah. And, just, and we don't obviously don't mean to joke about no. that. But we, we do, as humans, we find ourselves falling in ruts where we get in that thinking. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you know, it, sometimes people can take it too far and be like, oh, was I ever even saved if I yes. feel this way now? And that's obviously not our goal, but just heart check territory to, to look at these things honestly and be like, man, has this pairing gotten off in my life? Yeah, yeah, because again, I have met people that um, are really zealous and they were even zealous for what I would say were the things of the kingdom of God. Yes. But because of a deficit in their love, it, it almost started coming out as like, forceful things or like yeah. I'm going to push you out of the way in order for me to do this ministry and it's like yeah. dude you know <laughs> can't you see I'm loving Jesus yes <laughs> can't you see I'm yeah like, and it's just like I I wanted to even bring in a better example like I'm setting up these chairs so people could be with God and it's just like <laughs> but you you don't understand you just push 10 people out of the way you yeah. know or whatever and it's just like um, at some point we have to understand that Jesus was the perfect example of balance mm-hmm. because he was um, at times very zealous, but also never was he without love. Yeah. You know, so I just, I feel like um, this is a good one to show. And, and again, if you're lacking in the other, then a lot of times you're not going to take your relationship with God nearly as seriously because there might be a pursuit of something else that is boiling under the surface. Yeah, very true. So that was all I had for that one, Josh. Um, Like I said, my next one is going to be kind of a systematic down that road with knowledge and discernment. But um, you you have one that you're wanting to bring? Yes, yeah. I wanted to bring, and and I feel like this one is almost more uh, compare and contrast or it kind of meets in the middle because I'm gonna I'm gonna call it the same coin, but it is presented as two different sides by two different, okay. uh, two very different um, apostles or followers of Jesus, and so uh, for me it's it's faith and works. Oh yeah. Because um, it's so neat to see how in the Bible faith is presented by the apostle Paul as this wonderful work that we have through Jesus Christ that's being built into our lives. Peter says it's our foundation that we have the moment that we're saved. And then Paul talks about how we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not through what we've done, but through who he is. And 
all of these are leading up to these things about saying, we just have to place our faith in Jesus. It's by faith we are saved. Um, uh, but Christ demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died on the cross. And uh, all we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. You know, it's that act of faith. It's that step of faith. And all of this is culminating just in our salvation. And then all of a sudden, over here on the other side, when James writes his book of the Bible, he's like, so I've got something to tell you. You want to show me your faith, you know, your walk by faith. I want to show you my walk with God by my works. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you look at it, you're like, whoa, what are you talking about, dude? That sounds so contradictory because he says, um, you know, show me your faith uh, without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Mm -hmm. And uh, for anyone to think that it's only faith that can save us is scary. And then it, for anyone to, who can think that it's only works yeah. that can save us, it's scary. Yes. You know, because faith means that you're taking action mm -hmm. and then works are those actions. And so it's, it's not necessarily the deepest of pairings, but I just love the comparison and contrast of it. And I love how essentially it is the same coin. It's just two very different sides. And I love how two theologians from the Bible are presenting one very, very strong theme of salvation, but they're just coming at it from completely different directions. Yeah. This is one that is, you've heard us listeners talk about faith and works in so mm -hmm. many different episodes, and it's really an important one because I think it's the misunderstanding of this pairing that has forced so many, um, I hate to call them millennials, but millennials away from the church and newer generation yes. people away from the church because there is a lot of misconceptions about about one or the other on this, and it doesn't need to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is a pair thing, and Scripture shows us that. Like you said, you have two very different books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're pointing to the same thing, but you have to understand how they're paired together. And this is a big one because it points to the most important thing to any Christian, their salvation, their eternity after this life. I mean, we're kind of selfish people. That matters to us, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if God is real, salvation and all that is real, this is like the most important thing. Yes. And to think that it could be affected if we've got one person believing that it's all by faith and one by all by works, mm -hmm. and, but to understand that gives you so much joy in in. I guess not struggling with the battle back and forth, that mental battleground of I'm not doing enough and this and that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles, but I, this is a really important one that it's so important that you understand the balance. Well, and, and that is the truth because, you know, James goes on to say, eh, so faith without works is dead. Yeah. And I could say that you'd almost could flip those. So works without faith is dead. Yeah. You know, they're, they're nothing. It's not going to do you anything. Yeah. You know, I really do love the illustration that somebody talked about, like, hey, I bought you a, a ticket to the Super Bowl. All you have to do is go to the will call win window um, and say, hey, I'm here to receive my ticket. So basically what you're doing is you're receiving that by faith. But 
you didn't just hear me go, I bought you a ticket to the Super Bowl and you're like, okay, cool. And then you did nothing about it. When you went to the the will call window or the ticket window of will call, I keep saying will call. I'm just going to keep saying it. When you went to that ticket window to receive it, that was your works by faith yes. to, to activate that. Yeah. And on paper, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But man, does the battle yes. happen mentally whenever yeah. – I have to say for me personally, I've had to come to probably two or three different rock bottom points in my life of I somehow, I don't know how, got off track in a rut where I fell into this I was working for it mm-hmm. type of deal. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom in several different points in my life that I'm slowly but surely getting better at better at when I get to that point, finding that ultimate rest. And I got to remember, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I've tried and yeah. it just fails every single yeah. time. And in putting that, that rest in what Christ did, it's, it's like I said, it sounds good on paper for me, but it, it was a lot harder to learn yes. in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that's almost like why this is a good conversation to have every so often, because we can, um, like we say, f- start leaning one direction or the other. And I know people who are so workspaced that it's like, I got to earn my way to heaven. I, I, I need to earn God's approval. I need to earn a better place. Yeah. And, and yet we have that saying that there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. There's nothing that you could do that would keep you from experiencing all that he has for you. But also, if we haven't ever taken that first step, then is it really real? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so I just, I, I've been there too. I mean, I've been there where I'm just like, this is, this is all me. Well, and is that <laughs> yeah. what Paul talks about? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this is. Yes, it's. And again, you know, those words, fear and trembling. Oh, that's a, that's not a good word. Yeah, but it is. It is. It's a working out. It's a mental um, honesty with yourself as you look at these things and and you work them out properly. Yeah, and. Um, I heard that in an interesting context the other day. So the the trembling is kind of like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, because, I mean, I, I I was thinking about somebody the other day who's like, I'm going to just be afraid and I'm going to sit there and go, you know. Um, <laughs> but they were like, I guess the commentator was talking about when the first time you meet somebody who is like either so powerful or so famous and you go to shake their hand and you're in such awe and reverence of them that you can't help but just be a little bit quivering, yeah, you know, because you're nervous and you're shaking. And that's the first time I'd ever thought of it like that. And I, I mean, it, it almost has this perception of like, work out your salvation uh, as if you're in the presence of the Lord at that moment. It's almost a... Um... A, re- a realization of the gravity of the situation. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It's like this is, this isn't fairy tale. This isn't no. wish fulfillment. This yes. is something very real that I'm before. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would agree with Paul. Make sure that this is real. Make sure that you're um, walking the walk. Make sure that you know, what you say. You know, actions speak louder than words. I think Paul and James. They're like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is gonna this is gonna meme me for sure, but it's like Arnold's arm and um, 
uh, Apollo Creed's arm when they do the claps <laughs> in Predator. Yeah, have you seen that meme? Yeah, you know that's Paul and James right there, and it's like, and then the the caption would say salvation. Yeah, because uh, I'm gonna make that meme when you I get home to. and post it on some Christian network. So that's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I just came up with it. There we go. Meme making with Snake Bird. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No, that's a good visual image. I like that. Yeah. Right on. So let's uh, move, I guess, to the next one, which I have as knowledge and discernment. The last pairing was love and zeal that I brought, and that was a foundational pairing we see in Scripture. Proverbs 19.2 says, It is dangerous to have zeal without knowledge, and the one who acts hastily makes poor choices. And that pairing would be almost that honeymoon phase that we talked about where we've come to know the Lord with that initial newness of life. Our natural reaction is to just shout with zeal from the rooftops and let the world know what God has done for us. But this next pairing is what takes love and zeal and turns it into a spiritual mission with tactics and strategy. And this pairing would be, like I said, knowledge and discernment. The scripture this one is based on is Philippians 1, 9 through 10, where Paul is addressing the Philippian church, and here's what he says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now notice that Paul prays for their love to abound, and that word for abound in Greek is periseo which defines as surpassing or to go beyond what it is currently. So the idea is that we take the love that God has bestowed upon us and the knowledge of what he has done, and we use discernment to increase that love. Paul says that from this point, we'll be able to approve what is excellent, which means we can distinguish between good and evil by God's standards. And this will result in us becoming blameless and pure when Jesus returns. So I thought we should look at a few places in Scripture where this plays out. One of the best places that represents this, this whole knowledge discernment pairing is Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus tells the parable of the talents. And I know we've, we've talked about this one before, but just to recap the story and, and pull this application, um, there's four characters. The first representing Jesus, who's likened to the man going on the journey, and he leaves his servants in charge um, with his investment, which are these talents. The first is given five talents, the second got two, and the third only got one. And as the story goes, these men who received their master's treasure, they each invested what they were given, what they were left with. Two of them increased what they had been given, but the third just went and buried it. He put no effort in doing anything with what he had been given. And his excuse was that he was afraid. So he didn't even try. And things went very badly for that servant. So as we read this story, it's an eerie parallel to what the gospel is to the believer. We have received the gospel and the love of God which washes our sins away. For God so loved the world, and we're grateful for that. And that zeal begins to spark, and it's awesome to bask in that that early honeymoon phase and understanding. But then the master heads out on his journey, leaving us with a portion of this gift. And we each have a task to complete. And the reason the scared servant was reprimanded so harshly by the master when he had come back and he found out he hadn't done anything with it is because he refused to use the knowledge and discernment moving forward with what he was given. He said he was afraid. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. So let's consider this talent we've been given. If we're believers, then we have the knowledge of the gospel, right? That's where the love and zeal came into play. And now we have to discern what to do with that knowledge, when to use this knowledge, and to be intentional in our tactics and with our our sharing of the knowledge. And the reason knowledge has to be paired with discernment is because they are useless without each other. For an example, um, there's some really smart people that I've heard over the years that simply cannot teach others because they don't know how to effectively share what's in their head. Mm. They don't care how their knowledge is received as long as they know what they mean in their own mind. Um, no one benefits from that kind of knowledge. I'm, I don't know if you've known someone like that, but I've every now and then I'll see it, and mm. I'm like, what a waste, you know? Yeah. And that's knowledge without discernment. But on the flip side of that, there's some people out there with millions of followers on social media because they know how to tickle people's ears and cater to their curiosity. Yet they have the IQ of a banana. <laughs> it's discernment without knowledge. And I don't mean to be mean. Are you saying TikTok? <laughs> I'm just saying. The Greek word for discernment is aesthesis, and it means to perceive or understand. Some people understand and have the perception they need to sway a lot of people, but they have no knowledge behind that skill set. And that's how the blind lead the blind. I think everybody can pinpoint some people they've seen, like you say, on TikTok videos or whatever. Yeah. That you can see this play out. But when you pair knowledge with discernment, you have a pair of tools that can take the gospel of Christ, or anything for that matter. And each of us, with our unique skill set, we can go into specific situations with tactical discernment and plant seeds of knowledge into the lives of others. And that would be doing what the lazy servant did not do in the parable. Um, in Hosea 4.6, God says that his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And in Psalm 119.66, the psalmist says to God, teach me good discernment and knowledge. They're meant to be paired. So um, I, I real quick also want to consider some, some real-life situations where we can utilize this. But uh, Josh, anything, anything to add on it so far? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking that Proverbs 10.13 says, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. You know? And, um, My dad told me that one a lot. <laughs> I got a lot of those rod verses growing up, especially as I received a form of the rod right? through some sort of discipline, which I fully I believe probably deserved and and it did shape me into the man I'm, I'm was to be so yeah. I'm thankful for that for that but um what is it they say is that wisdom is knowledge rightly applied oh yeah and um yeah. I think there's a lot of times where you do find that uh even in the New Testament it talks about how knowledge puffs up but uh, humility comes from, I believe, having discernment because especially when you look at it through a New Testament lens, discernment is a gift of the Spirit. Yeah. You know, and it, when you uh, rely too heavily on on only knowledge, you know, you might be one of those people, like you said, that <laughs> just doesn't even know how to relate to people, that, yeah. that doesn't know how to, to say it. And yet there are those out there who um, 
don't have a lick of sense and yet they they have an a huge audience and um and i was huge thinking, applause too by yeah, that audience yeah, like look at these great yeah, wisdom yeah 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 i was I thinking totally of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking of peter in acts chapter five when ananias and sapphira decided to do what they did and lie about the donation that they were giving from their excess of selling the land and how it was only through discernment that he knew what was going on and he was able to call them on the carpet and then they died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, just normal story. <laughs> um, but I was thinking of like, if there is a balance because as as believers, we need to be knowledge seekers. Um, the be, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, and again, wisdom is the building blocks of wisdom is knowledge. Yeah. But without discernment, we, we, you know, we're the blind trying to lead the blind. Yeah. So I, I am right in line with where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to think about with that because there's, there's so many times we've, we've looked at like the realms of science throughout history that we've had some really smart people that just didn't have all the puzzle pieces. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So having, having both is pretty important. Um, just real quick, I, I had some real life situations that, that maybe we could draw some application. Um, one of them being sharing the gospel in the workplace. If we're believers, we're obviously going to have the knowledge of what Christ has done for us. But but what are we going to do with this knowledge? Discernment would urge us to study our peers and our coworkers to know their personality types. When we're intentionally mindful of how people around us operate, then we can we can find avenues to plant those seeds of knowledge. Uh, maybe your coworker is into sports. Paul made a great parallel to that mindset in 1 Corinthians 9.24 where he highlights that uh, rigorous training that the athlete goes through to win the games and mm. then compares that to the training that a Christian must be dedicated to. And obviously you can be creative. It doesn't have to come across weird because sometimes Christians will try too hard to draw parallels. Yeah. And, but um, maybe it's finances. There's plenty of biblical material that talks about great business tactics to grow wealth. I mean, Dave Ramsey has done – had some of the best financial advice to date, and he uses that platform to share the gospel. So knowing things is, is really good, but applying that knowledge, that's the other 50% of the battle in this pairing. Uh, a certain Samuel Chadwick once said, the man who thinks he can know the word of God by mere intellectual study is greatly deceived. Spiritual truth is spiritually discerned. So that's the pairing of, of knowledge mm-hmm. and discernment and, and using them together because you don't want to you don't want to know a lot of stuff and have no no way of, of utilizing it and yes. putting it out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if you're um, if you're kind of one of those hyper spiritual people and you're like, God's going to give me discernment, you know, yeah. and really there's no depth in your in your backing, you know, you don't have any foundation of scriptural knowledge, yeah. then there is a real danger that. That mean you might try to draw on something and it may just not be there. Oh yeah, that that's how that's how atrocious doctrines get started. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, 
the the preachers who had <laughs> these great revelations from the Lord, they put in the work yes. to know the Bible. Yes, they did. Yeah, so their their uh, perfect pairing of knowledge and discernment, it it was there because they uh, they wanted to make sure that they had that balance. Yeah. And it's funny we talked about the pairing of faith and works, but this isn't a this is a very intentional pairing. This is a very you do have to work at this one. Yes, because yeah. and not not to take away from the other half of it, but you do have to put in effort to to gain knowledge. Some knowledge is given, some knowledge is obtained because you put some effort in. Yeah, and then to know how to discernment that's also a gift of God. That, that there's a balance. There's a balance. Yeah, and and you just reminded me of that proverb that. Uh, was brought up in our church a few weeks back where he said, um, Solomon said, when I considered the sluggard and how uh, at first you're like, well, this is just a weird way to go, you know, <laughs> but what uh, the the pastor said as he was bringing up this this sermon is that we can learn from every single situation. And if we uh, allow ourselves to we can be discipled and and grow from every situation whether it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do because it's like yeah i shouldn't become the sluggard you know yeah and i need to learn on how to make sure that i don't do that and then you know there's other things where you look at somebody who's successful and you can say well i need to learn on how i can be like that or whatever it might be yeah the discernment of pulling from where you Mm -hmm. need to pull from to exactly for betterment yes yeah, so like that's it. a that's a good pairing, especially on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't even. I can't even try a very white voice. I just have a very white voice. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, snake birds. Well, it is it has happened again. We have come to a point where I think we're going to do a part two on this. Because we don't want to rush through it, and we don't want you to miss because you got tired of listening to us. Some important stuff coming up on these pairings. So I think, uh, what do you think, Josh? Uh, Part two is in order? Yeah, because we've gone way long on this, longer than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be awesome. So um, please come back for part two. And just remember, snakebirds, whatever you do. Wherever you go. No matter what life throws at you. There's never been a better time to pair up with Jesus. And and be a snake bird. All right. Well, is that um, all you have on that one, Josh? Yes. And I'm going to, sorry, I I said Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I got to call out Carl Weathers. You know, I I got to just, that's Apollo Creed. So I got to say his real name because, you know, if you have a bone and you throw it in some water, baby, you got a stew going. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Baby, you got you a stew. (laughs) Jose 4.6 says that God. Hosea. Oh, my bad. Just well, in case. Did I say Jose? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't want Oh, that's great. <laughs> my buddy, Jose. <laughs> Jose.